Happy Easter, guys! It is Easter Sunday, and we are so excited to see the tail end of Zipper from all of our islands. Get the fuck out! <laughs> I'm V, and I'm joined by Joe. Hello. And Muse. Hello. Normally, we're a comic podcast that uploads weekly where you could check the show notes for each comics we cover that week. But this one's going to be a special holiday episode, and we're going to talk about some Easter-themed characters. So we're going to start off with Joe, and I think you were going to talk about a character named Captain Carrot. Yes, I was. Captain Carrot was created in 1982 by Roy Thomas and Scott Shaw. He is pretty much the animal form of superman from the dc multiverse there is a planet called earth 26 where it's basically zootopia everybody's an animal and so captain carrot is named roger rodney rabbit he comes from city called new york new is spelled g-n-u like the animal in africa gosh and he is the leader of the team called the zoo crew He's often called Rodney instead of Roger because want to avoid confusion or copyrights with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, no. Oh. Basically, after consuming one of his cosmic carrots, quote unquote, <laughs> Rodney gains superpowers for 24 hours, although major exertion could exhaust the power sooner. And his oh. superpowers are strength, endurance, heightening hearing, uh, vision senses, and a powerful leap. Which also was actually used in a Bugs Bunny cartoon. Oh, yeah. When he dressed up as Superman. Mm-hmm. And he, like, opened up his little carrots uh-huh. and ate the carrots. Okay, that's cute. Oh, my god! I didn't get it until now. I just thought they were just being like, oh, it's his super powered up carrots that he's just been hiding. Okay. It's like a Popeye thing. You know, vegetables. Yeah. The spinach. They give yeah. you powers. Literally. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> he is actually the only member of the zoo crew who has to constantly replenish his powers and he keeps a pair of carrots holstered on his belt in emergencies (laughs) in his alter ego rodney was a writer and an artist for the comic book called just a lot of animals which is a spinoff of the jla (laughs) until its members actually sued for copyright violation and prevented any further reproductions of their adventures so when captain carrot was created it was a 16 page special insert inside the new teen titans so it's kind of like a second feature within their uh, regular comics and so basically it starts off with superman accidentally getting pierced with an energy beam and getting brought to what was called earth c since this was pre-crisis of infinite earths so there wasn't really any rhyme or reason to how the multiverse worked at the time yet was that supposed to stand for carrot just just questioning it oh my god i'm pretty sure i couldn't really find any definitive answer but i'm pretty sure i'm safe with assuming that Mm. but yeah superman noticed everything kind of looked the same from earth so he didn't realize that he was in a different dimension so he went to some building called galaxy communications and it turned out to be called wombat communications (laughs) it was actually a media publishing house responsible for the cartoons and the comic books of just a lot of animals which again spin off of the jla he encounters a mild-mannered artist, Roger Rabbit, and Roger began eating a mysterious glowing carrot, and he soon developed this muscular physique, super hearing, the ability to bunny hop clear across the city in a single bound. He puts on this costume he acquired from a costume party and became the superhero known as Captain Carrot. 
And then across the country, a bunch of other animals started experiencing similar situations and transformations. Roger ended up meeting with these super-powered animals, and together with Superman, they defeated Starro. Because Starro was in this, as well as Gorilla Grodd. And they didn't have to alter them too much because they're already animals. After defeating Starro, just like the Justice League of America's first appearance, they became the Zoo Crew. After this 16-issue special, Captain Carrot and his Amazing Zoo Crew was the new title which published 1982. And ever since then, all these different characters have been occasionally appearing in cameos throughout DC Comics. Whether it was as an actual comic book, or a TV show, or on a cereal box, or actually communicating with some of the other heroes. They've shown up in a World Without Justice event back in 1998 before the classic Young Justice started. They showed up in Teen Titans in the 2000s during Jeff John's run. They've been everywhere. They're able to show up because, once again, this was pre-Crisis of Infinite Earths, so they have their own Earth on Earthsea, which has a bunch of many animal-themed pun names for real-world aspects. Like, the zoo crew works out of Follywood, California, and from the country of the United Species of America. You also have famous actors such as Marlon Brando, the blue Marlon. Oh my god. And then the Earth that Rodney Rabbit writes and draws about for just a lot of animals is called Earth C Minus. So he didn't really think that hard. Then post crisis, Earth C and Earth C Minus were actually considered alternate dimensions rather than a parallel universe. Therefore, they were spared from the effects of the crisis. Also, according to Mark Wade's story, The Kingdom, there's an equivalent of Earthsea in the newly reestablished DC multiverse, which was designated Earth-26. A couple of recent appearances of Captain Carrot and the Zoo Crew, you have Zatanna back in 2010, so this is right before New 52. Zatanna is saving a sunken ship off the coast of San Diego, and on this ship, there are a whole bunch of animals, and for some reason, a bunch of costumes just lying around. She decides to take the white rabbit home with her because she needed one for her magic show coming up. Oh no. This rabbit ends up eating a magical carrot, thus becomes Captain Carrot. Throughout the comic, a bunch of the other animals again start going through other similar situations. And then you have, in the New 52, this comic called Threshold back in 2013. I didn't even hear of this thing, but I remember the cover. Basically, they made Captain Carrot a ripoff of Rocket Raccoon. Literally oh, no. from like the way he looks, he's small, more realistic rabbit looking, and he uses guns. No! Why? <laughs> mm-hmm. I love his really Looney Tunes-esque style. Yeah! It's so cute! That's what made it and great! so cheesy! Plus also like in all the different like crisis events and whatever you see Captain Carrot there hanging out with all the other supermen. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing him in Tomasi's run. It was multiplicity i think it was yeah, that was yeah. It. he shows up and i'm like he's taller than superman granted it's also the ears so. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then after that one the most recent thing was back in 2014 for multiversity actually like right in the first issue which i believe was written by grant morrison it's pretty much part of a team trying to save the multiverse from this alien race called the gentry i do actually remember seeing this in the rebirth superman comic as well because Captain Carrot was part of this whole multiverse-saving team that existed outside of the multiverse, and they have a bunch of different heroes to form their own Justice League from all different Earths. But yeah, 
They've mainly made a lot more of like showing up on advertisements and comic books and video game type of cameos than like actual dialogue and fighting alongside the Justice League and stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for that. Starting off strong with the bunny. Do you think you can beat that, Muse? Uh, no. (laughs) (laughs) She just gave up. (laughs) I almost pretty much gave up on this one because it was like, we're going to do an Easter theme. And at the top of my head, I'm like, I can't think of anything rabbit, spring, or egg related except this character. Though I was going to potentially go with... This was both in Marvel and DC. I was like, I don't know. The only thing I can think of is Marvel's Egghead. Yeah, I saw that too. Story with Ant-Man and Wasp in like the Lego Marvel Superheroes 2, I think. So I went with Egg. Fabio Bendia is the character. He was created by our favorite, Ryan Michael Bendis. (laughs) That was another reason why I was like, I'm not going to be able to beat Captain Carrot because it's, it's Bendis. Brian Michael Bendis and Chris Bacello? Bacello? I apologize. He is one of the numerous new mutants whose powers manifested after a war between the Avengers and the X-Men. I don't know what event this was. This was back in about 2012-2013. This was a bit of a low period for Marvel. His powers manifested after he was a victim of a robbery attempt During this, his mutant powers manifested, and he shoots out these orbs, and they started bouncing around and hitting innocent bystanders, hitting the police, because he apparently panicked during this robbery attempt, and the police really have always had, like, a negative stigma against mutants, especially right now, because the X-Men are very much on the run, it seems like, and they attempt to put him into custody because he just found out he was a mutant. And I feel bad for him because he's like, I'm sorry, my mutant power just triggered and I can't control it. And he keeps hitting them with these golden orbs in the face. And it's hilarious. But he's interrupted by Cyclops and the X-Men who rescue him and whisk him off. He's not the only one. There's a couple of other kids. That's about where I stopped reading in his first appearance, which is in Uncanny X-Men 2013 issue one. So he's right on the first page. But he doesn't join the X-Men until later once they get, like, attacked by Sentinels, where he gets his hero name, aptly named Gold Balls. Just... I don't know. How do you get away with Gold Balls? I don't know. But Asgardian isn't allowed. I don't know. But his power is Sphere Generation, which is a production of golden balls of different sizes from any part of his body. So he's like Minata from My Hero Academia, except pulling off sticky purple orbs from his hair. They just come out of random bits of his body. I thought you were going to say orifices. At least least it's coming through his skin. (laughs) It'll come off of his arm. It'll come off of his chest. I do not understand this character at all. I feel really bad for him because it's like what kind of ability is this eventually i think they give him a suit very similar to how havoc is where there's a spot in the front of his outfit Uh, where his uh chest is so he just shoots it out of his chest if he has like clothing on top maybe i don't really know it prevents them from coming out of like his arms or something so he can channel them from his chest i don't get it he doesn't stop there with how ridiculous ridiculous of a character he is because unfortunately he also had a couple of appearances outside of uncanny x-men in 2016 he showed up in spider-man 
alongside Miles Morales because he attended school with Miles at Brooklyn Visions Academy for a little while. So you can find him there. He was apparently, I think, friends with him. They were also friends with an Inhuman. So there was a mutant, an Inhuman, and an enhanced hero all going to school at the same time. Who created Miles Morales? It's true. Bendis likes to keep all of his characters together. Really likes mm-hmm. to keep them all in a nice, neat bow. I don't know if this inhuman character was also created by him. I don't know. But there was really weird conversations where essentially Fabio was outing the inhuman guy and then also outing Miles as Spider-Man to each other. I was like, I get it. You don't have a secret identity. I was gonna say, but is this because do. Bendis doesn't like secret identities? I guess yeah. not. <laughs> we just came full circle again. <laughs> it just... Another one for Bendis Bingo. <laughs> <laughs> no secret identities. So he really lay dormant for a while. I think he showed up a couple of times in some background, just major events with the X-Men. Like, oh, there's gold balls in the back again. <laughs> there he is, oh, shooting God. his orbs. I don't really know. Um, Why? Why? I get it. You shoot golden orbs from your body. You do not need to be so literal with your gosh darn name. Bendis. <gasps> Another thing off the Bendis bingo list. Shitty hero names. <laughs> but most recently in House of X, Hickman tried to make this character relevant. Bless Hickman. <laughs> yeah, bless Hickman. Uh, Well, we already know that the mutants at this time are a and drinking a lot of the Kool-Aid. They find out that after a lot of them started to move to Krakoa, his namesake golden balls were actually biologically infertile eggs. Oh my god. Air quotes around eggs. Yep. No, 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 no. Yep. Which, if made fertile, would allow for potentially unlimited resurrection of the mutant race. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This makes the rejuvenation thing, it makes more sense. (laughs) But still is so weird. It doesn't mean I like it. No. So he became a member of the five. So there's like five different mutants that are used in the process of trying to keep the mutant population of Krakoa alive even after death. So somebody has minor time manipulation powers. He has his infertile eggs. And then we have a couple of other people that deal with the whole shebang they're able to actually create new clones of the deceased restoring their bodies powers and memories as they were at the time of their death wait a minute so he makes these eggs they have to become fertilized Uh so basically he's playing the role of the mother Mm -hmm. are you saying all of these mutants if they die they slowly all become related by blood i guess yeah so you're saying that pretty soon the entire island of Krakoa will be incest. Thanks, Joe. Wow, you really took it there. That's freaking dark. I was not expecting it to end at that point. It just hit me. It scarred me. It frightened me. <laughs> and I thought I would share it with you. Thanks. That's not like the first scarring or weird conundrum that's come about this whole rejuvenation and cloning process because we've got cloning we have the incest debate we also had the debate of what if we have like gene gray who wants the powers of magneto as well so you can make like 
hybrid? Yeah, you could technically make hybrids. But if you look at Powers and House of X, remember that, like, alternate future? Yeah, they were hybrids of different mutants. So, I don't know. The mutants are just getting really weird and just making oh. you think things. They need to have a sit-down, <laughs> and they need to watch Steven Spielberg's classic Jurassic Park yeah. from 1993. I think they're too far gone, Joe. Yeah. I think, listen, I'm not for genocide. However... <laughs> I think we need to Noah's Ark these guys and just, like, we need to wipe them out. Start over. New mutant race, go. Because whatever's on Krakoa, it's, like, zombified. You know, your old friends look the same, but they're not the same. It's a cult. It might be a cult, or maybe they've been genetically modified already. And at this point, they could become a problem. I'm just speaking for the rest of the human race. It's time we gave them a chance. Now we know it's going to get bad. So, yeah, that's where he gets his new code name, which is Egg, because he actually makes eggs. <laughs> so <weird>. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, uh, good on Hickman on bringing Is it good? A- no, we're not on board with Hickman. He is, we thought we were going to be roasting Bendis. You set it up like we were going to roast Bendis. This is so much worse than anything Bendis did to this character. Yes, he did call him golden balls to his face. Yes, he made him weird sticky balls out of his body. But he did not call them eggs, and he did not make him the surrogate mother of a whole bunch of dead mutants come back to life. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Wait, I, I totally missed the part where you were telling me how they were fertilized. How did they fertilize the eggs? I was wondering that too, actually. Like, <laughs> semen, are they? No, because that doesn't make any sense. Because, like, no, no, no. If you're cloning someone, right, you're just using the uterus of, like, okay, so if you're cloning Dolly the sheep, you're not using the mother's DNA, right? Okay, so this is apparently what happened. So, egg produces a number of non viable biological eggs based off the mutants. And these eggs are injected with mutant DNA from Mr. Sinister's genetic catalog. There we go. That was it. Mr. Sinister has been. Oh yeah, that was a huge thing. Read House and Powers of X because you took us for a ride, my friend. <laughs> I forgot about you that. You are speeding through all these stops, which I appreciate, <laughs> but these are some important stops yeah, you need to stop. Yeah, I, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> we we made some connections that weren't there. <laughs> yeah, Xavier decided to make a contingency plan, so he tasked Mister Sinister with collecting mutant DNA because he likes to catalog and take these things so elixir biologically gives the eggs life starting a new cellular replication process and husk growth and then Ava Bella uses her time manipulation powers to mature the husks to the age the mutants were when they died of course Hope Summers comes in and uses her mimic powers to empower everyone else's abilities in the process oh yep. wow so they're doing all sorts of doctoring to make these yeah people think so, they're the originals yes but they're not the originals <laughs> And then, of course, every, like, so often, Charles is taking, like, a weird, like, mental snapshot. Like, he's essentially backing them up, like, shoving an external hard drive in and backing the mutants' memories up and storing it into, like, five different multiple hard drives across different points of Earth. So if he dies or that, like, hub goes away, he can pull from it and throw their memories in. So, like... 
you see in the first story in the X-Men run, they all like die. They all die out in space and they don't remember much of anything up until when they left because Charles couldn't reach them mentally out near the sun. But yeah, it's complicated and really weird. Darkest timeline. Weird does not even begin. Joe, I thought you read House and Powers of X. No, it's been on my reading list. Oh, please go read it because it makes a lot of I don't of know this... if I want to now. <laughs> it's complicated and weird. I knew that I would be enlightened on some new characters and some old characters. I was not expecting to have a scientific breakthrough about the population of Krakoa. Yeah. It's a mess. Well... Maybe we should read it so that we can, like, get, like, multiple perspectives on it. It's really surreal. Like, a lot of what's going on with X-Men is getting metaphysical and surreal. It's getting weird and creepy. Like, what is going on? I feel like the more it goes on and the more I hear about Hickman's X-Men, this is an X-cult. Yeah, I've been saying that since forever. Everyone's just been drinking the Kool-Aid. This is worse than that. This is having the Kool-Aid genetically modified into them when they die. I mean, it's really creepy. Does he have an ending for this? Or is he just, like, flying by the seat of his pants? Like, you know what else would be disturbing? You know that character, Husk? (laughs) She gave everyone the heebie-jeebies. Let's use her. (laughs) You know, just keep going. How about gold balls? We gotta do something about that name. (laughs) But you know what else we could do instead of just changing the name? Let's make it weird. Let's yeah. make him a mommy. Great. Love mutant powers. They're random. They make no sense. They used to. They used to, like, make sense with due to stress that came on during uh, puberty. A lot of the, there was correlations with stuff like that. But now they just, like, no. Here's a random mutant with dumb powers. And you know, like, because they're always like, we're the next stage of evolution. I'm like, no, nothing about this screams to me evolution. It's... It sort of screams to me like the writer had an idea for a superpower they might like, you know? Like, what if this person shoots out styrofoam noodles from their head? (laughs) And you're like, that doesn't sound real, but okay, we'll go along with it because it's a comic. That guy's named Toad. Guess what he does? And you're just like, I'll go with it, whatever. (laughs) But like, you never see that series Misfits? Sorry for this tangent. Yeah, it's a mess. But, like, in the beginning, it's really good. It's about some kids who are serving their time together in community service. They're all brats. They all have different things going on. But based off of their personalities, when they're near this meteor that, like, crashes into the bay, they each get superpowers that kind of make up for their weaknesses as humans. Like, it's their character flaws that become counterbalanced by their powers. And so there's a rhyme and a reason to it. Even in that logic, you're like... Alright, you know, it's something magical that we don't understand and it's something related to their personalities, so it's predictable, and it also serves the plot. Meanwhile, you have the whole mutant pantheon, and these guys are like, this woman has butterfly wings. Wonder what those are for, we don't know. You know, it's just like weird stuff. I appreciate the mutants is what I'm saying, but there's a lot of them, and it's already crazy, and he's like, you know what, we're gonna amp this up to 11. Yeah, you did. Well, thank you for telling us about that. It tied into your current continuity. This was very enlightening. (sighs) Wow. (laughs) So you started reading the X-Men current issues, but you didn't read House and Powers X. No, because X-Men titles just started coming out when I started to get into these Marvel titles. But that was very enlightening of a Bendis character. And I did not think the damage was going to be by Hickman. (laughs) 
the surprise supervillain waiting in the wings. <laughs> I'll give it to Bendis. He gave him a crappy name, but that's about it. I mean, he's still not off the hook for gold balls. Alright, <laughs> let's let's cheer everyone up. So you remember Batman in the sixties? Yeah. Do you remember Adam West? Good old Adam West. Yeah. And do either of you know who Vincent Price is? Yes. He's really? an amazing actor. I thought you yeah. didn't know who he was. I didn't recognize the name at first, but then when I actually typed him in, I watched a bunch of things that he was in. Nice. And you've seen The Great Mouse Detector, right? Yeah. <gasps> Classic. Yeah. He was so good. Was he yeah, in The Great Mouse Detector? He's, he plays uh, Radigan. <gasps> I love him. <laughs> <laughs> right? Such a good villain. Oh my gosh. I mean, it's been a while since anyone brought up The Great Mouse Detector. I love that yeah. movie. Underrated okay. Disney movie. Anyways. It is. That scene of Big Ben. I'm like, oh, come on. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> Back to my point. My lead up was for Egghead, which you referenced earlier. Oh, man. All the puns. All the Robin puns said off screen, and I bet. Holy egg salad sandwich, Batman. <laughs> Holy wonderful form of cholesterol. Anyways, sorry. Moving back on. <laughs> so, created by Stanley Ralph Ross, Ed Self, 60s. He was originally created for the Batman TV series, where he was in the episodes The Og and I, How to Hatch a Dinosaur, <laughs> and The Og Couple. <laughs> I won't get into the plots too much, but just suffice it to say, Vincent Price playing a character who is one of Batman's most intelligent villains, who figures out who Bruce Wayne is with pure deductive reasoning. But at the same time, this guy is like, he has an egg fixation, which is just the weirdest thing. Like, if he didn't have that, I feel like he could have been Batman's Moriarty. Like, it sounded like when Schumacher was talking about his films, he wanted to have him as one of the main villains. Yeah. That would have been a great main villain for Batman. It was supposed to be the Batman film before the nolan trilogy started so it's right after george clooney the next batman movie was gonna be starring egghead scarecrow and one other one listen i really do like egghead he's like a white megamind i think he's (laughs) fantastic like he has this he brings this like zeal and intelligence and this really big intensity like a really big character i love it it's like a very amped up lex Luthor. And you don't see a lot of him, and it's a real shame, too. Like, yeah, okay, maybe the egg thing could be a little considered corny. (laughs) But, like, if they played more in the intelligence part of it instead of just like, oh, he's just an egg villain, only wants his eggs. Yeah, but you've seen how, like, a lot of comics will dumb down the smart characters. Yeah. Like, to just make them flamboyant. And so when you got the egg puns, and there are a billion egg puns to be made. How many can you fit in the basket? I can fit a few. Yeah, let me get to that, actually. Sorry. <laughs> I got ahead of myself. So yes, Egghead. He was a great person to do one on. I thought it would be fun. I thought I would see more of him. He's been in Gotham Academy 15 in 2016. He was in the Batman 66 webcomic in 2016. He was an all-star Batman, too, also 2016. Never seen from again. But (laughs) here's the thing. Batman, the Brave and the Bold, 16, had, like, this fantastic introduction to him. I was reading it to do some research. He's on it. He looks like Megamind. He's drawn, like, a cross between Megamind and Vincent Price. And he looks fantastic. Basically, he, I guess he was imprisoned on the Isle of the Amazons. And I'm thinking, he's a Batman villain. Why is he there? Why would you imprison him there? 
but they're like, he's so smart, he escaped with our technology. Batman's like, ah, how could you do this? I told you, I keep warning you. She's like, you warn us about everything. What are we supposed to pay attention to? (laughs) So Batman is hanging out with Wonder Woman, and they're having a grand old time. Mm. Friendly. Joe. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of grand time where he's like, it's never boring with you, Wonder Woman. That's can be taken out of context. I don't know. <laughs> it can't, though. Not unless you stretch real hard, okay? Anyways. <laughs> There's this one scene where Egghead kidnaps a giant egg. This giant extraterrestrial egg, right? Mm-hmm. And he has it hooked up to all of this machinery. And he's going to hatch it. That's his big plot. He's going to destroy the world when this egg gonna is hatched. going to sit on it? No, no. He has machines for this. He's not a sick Marvel character, okay? He's a, he's a rational DC character. Thanks, B. You're welcome. I love you. Okay. Uh-huh. So you see him staring at the egg, and he's like, soon. And it skips to the next panel, and there's a giant egg, and he's like doing this little heel kick, and he's just like, soon the shell will crack, soon the skin will peel, and the greatest exhibition of eggs terrestrial life will explode into existence. <laughs> I was like, oh no, I get it now. That's why he's banned from public appearances. <laughs> <laughs> no one thinks his puns are excellent. <laughs> so then they skip over to Batman and Wonder Woman, and they're doing their thing, you know, tracking him down, whatever. And it goes elsewhere. A villain watches. He goes, yes, yes, those fools have successfully extracted the first artifact. And once they <laughs> examine those engravings and the exalted egg. Oh, this is so exciting. <laughs> so they really got their money's worth with the puns is what I'm saying. Maybe he's just too powerful. They can only bring him out so many times. <laughs> yeah. Guys. If you're gonna do an Easter comic, this is the best one because it has a literal egg hunt. Batman and Wonder Woman are looking for a giant egg that a man named Egghead has stolen. And so you might be thinking to yourself, what is this egg and why does he have it and when does it hatch? Dinosaurs? No. It hatches, in this I think he's referred to as a demon and he calls him Yigpu Sagath. He wants him to take over the world. He's like the new big demigod apocalyptic thing. Wonder Woman calls him a demigod, but... Is it like a dragon? Nope. It's not? What the heck? It is a variation of... Oh, Egg food oh no! Wonder Woman comic. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've already spoken uh... with Muse and Joe about my obsession with egg food. This has became an instant obsession <laughs> that we have all become deeply involved with pre-recording this and so i'm so excited that you didn't figure that out yet no reveal so the thing is egghead was like my introduction right i was like easy got it easter i got egghead he's you know an instant classic maybe the dc office doesn't appreciate him like i do but maybe you guys like hearing about him and his excellent puns (laughs) instead I discovered egg food and holy cow, let's talk about egg food. <laughs> he was created by Robert Kenniger and this guy is a legend. He has spent 20 years on Wonder Woman. He worked on like the first appearance of Barry Allen. He's a legend. He's also responsible for the most racist comic I have ever read in my entire life. 
and I think I read a really racist Captain America one once, but this one was against the Chinese, and this is taking place in 1965, and it should also be noted that um, this is after Robert had been doing a ton of, I forget what the nice word is for propaganda. Yeah, he made a bunch of comics, I don't want to call them pro-war, but they're like, support your troops. Yeah, he made a bunch that were like about like star-spangled man of war and things like that. And so you want to talk about drinking the Kool-Aid. He's a little in it. Wonder Woman 157. And I want you to mark that down because you need to go read it. 157. The first page, you will see the most racist caricature of a Chinese person you have ever seen. Spoiler slash trigger warning. It's very racist. It's extremely racist. And it's extremely sexist. So... Egg Fu is a giant racist character, but he is also a giant egg, which I'm not really hip on racist terms for many races I've discovered. I'm like really out of the loop, but I don't know what the egg part of it is. He is the size of a skyscraper and he lives on Oolong Island. I'm questioning how racist it is to name it after like a Chinese food or Chinese beverage and then just be like, and this is where we keep our Chinese people. They're all over there on Oolong Island. It sounds like an attraction. But anyways, it was it had racist roots, so you have to decide, do I want to keep those racist roots and build on them and try to like sanitize them, or do I want to throw it away? DC likes to sanitize, so I'll talk about that in a second. But right now, let's just delve into the horror of the origin. Okay, so before we get into the racism, Wonder Woman. Wow, so while she <laughs> is... Diana. She is the mild-mannered secretary of the heartthrob Steve Trevor. And Steve is having problems. He has to go undercover because he's a secret operative. And he doesn't know when he'll be back. But he misses Wonder Woman. She's the love of his life. He just loves her so much. Calls her his angel. And he runs over into Diana's office and he's like, Die! Talk about women's intuition. I had some of my own intuition. I felt Wonder Woman might be here. And she's like, oh, um, uh, I don't think she even gave him a yes. I think she was just kind of like stuttering. She stutters a lot in this. As Wonder Woman, she stutters. And as Diana, she stutters. And so he's just like, I've got a great plan. So you know how much I love Diana, not you. You know how you were my buddy, friend zoned. And I was thinking, would you pretend to be her for an hour and go on a date with me before I get shipped out. Or you have to pretend to be Wonder Woman, not Diana. And now any woman would have just like punched him like in the gut at that point and just walked away and be like, bye incel. But he was like talking her into it and she's like, oh no, now I have to pretend to be someone I'm not. It's like, no, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to go on any dates with this guy. But she's like, I guess I have to do this. So she goes with him to the beach, and by the way, in these older comics, they have to restate the thing they just said on the page before, like, three more times. So he's like, remember, you're Wonder Woman, and she's like, okay. But then she, of course, restates in her head, oh, I wish I could change into my Wonder Woman outfit. Oh, but I can't. It's like, oh my gosh. So he goes, hey, Angel, remember when we first walked on this beach? And he starts reminiscing about things Diana would never have, and it's just like, I haven't read Wonder Woman in a while, so like when I started reading this, I was like, okay, this is kind of a shock to the senses. But I mean old Wonder Woman, because I do have some old Wonder Woman stashed away, because that's the fun Wonder Woman. That's the Wonder Woman that had like really questionable things happening on every page, and you're like, what a time capsule. (laughs) Can I just say, I love the modern Wonder Woman who is like an art restorationist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a pretty nice job, and it keeps her kind of 
in touch with the past and kind of yeah. out of the way but yeah. it also lets her be a little bit high class a lot of the stuff that, that she's working with is ancient re-artifacts so it's stuff her people had connections with because she's right. amazonian and people who work with antiquities and high value items can be seen with a lot of high powered individuals yep. mm-hmm. which gives her a lot of access so it's just kind of the perfect job secretary would not have done it and also it kind of has sort of a weird relation with modern society when you have the whole old school idea of the secretaries from Mad Men, you know? Mm-hmm. So anyways, Steve Trevor does not know how to use his secretaries, is the point I was trying to make here. He is the worst. So setting that up and setting up that Wonder Woman can't be Wonder Woman because she's still in disguise as Diana, they get attacked by Chinese soldiers who are speaking the most racist phonetic... I'm trying to think, how do you say it? It was phonetic... Yeah. It was written to make it sound... Chinglish. There you go. Thank you. Yeah, yes. you're all... It's like Spanglish, but it's Chinglish. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just to really let you know that this is Chinese people trying to speak American. But it's also hella inconsistent. Then they'll, like, skip back and forth from the word. So sometimes they're pronouncing it correct, sometimes they're not. And it's just kind of like someone's, like, half-heartedly going, Haha, there's something racist, go for it. And then, of course, Steve uses all sorts of names. Yeah. (laughs) And so they're just having a go of it. It's like, okay, buddy, it's too far now. You've crossed several lines. But then they, like, skip over. There's a bunch of stuff that happens. Eventually, Steve goes on his mission to photograph this super secret bomb. Before that, I also want to bring up another moment of Steve and Diana. Diana gets grazed by a bullet, and she's passed out. After Steve fights the men, he goes to Diana, and he's like, Are you okay? Are you breathing? And then she's coming out of it a little bit, and he's like, Can I can I kiss you for right now as if you were Wonder Woman? I don't have much longer before I have to go on my mission. Oh, Please, gosh. Diana. It won't mean anything to you, but it'll mean the world to me. What a dick. That was horrifying. Yeah, so basically the culmination of this is Steve goes on his mission. They have some convoluted thing where, like, they can turn anyone photographing the bomb into a bomb themselves with radiation. They turn Steve into a human bomb. Steve is looking all over for this missile. He's like, oh, I gotta photograph a missile for our intelligence agency that has, like, a 100% hit rate. He's like, we gotta be prepared for it. It cuts to Egg Fu, who is an enormous egg. And he's just like, oh, those Americans will never know what hit them because they can't take a photograph of my missile. Steve sees him. And he's like, where's the missile? And I'm like, dude, there's a giant egg. Why are you not freaking out? This is the most horrifying thing I've ever seen. Why would you not question this? He hangs out with Wonder Woman. This is a walk in the park for him. When you look at that kind of stuff in comics and like a character is like not reacting to something outlandish, and I'm thinking more like Sunday morning cartoons or like comic strip comics and something is absolutely insane. It's like, oh, that's just how they draw that person. In reality, they would be like a normal person, but they're just like caricaturing them. So mm-hmm. I was thinking, is this just like this caricature of like a Chinese boss? Like, what is he <laughs> doing? <laughs> like, someone react to this because it's actually quite terrifying. <sighs> but no, nobody reacts and it's disturbing. So they go through all this whole thing. He's a mastermind. I don't think they take him down. Steve gets turned into a bomb. Wonder Woman has to stop him. She's crying a lot. She loves to cry, this Wonder Woman. So much. It's like that new Laura Croft, you know? Ooh. Yeah. (laughs) I hated that game. So anyways, I thought that she was going to kill Steve. This is why I read it, because I read a synopsis and it's like, she throws Steve at the bomb. But no, Steve is like, Wonder Woman, thank you. I'm so glad I got to see you before I die. Don't look at me. Don't come near me. I'm going to blow (laughs) myself up. And he like goes into the bomb himself. But Wonder Woman's like, I can't leave you. I love you. And then they both die. 
they get smithereen blasted. And then Hippolyta is like, oh, my daughter. And she goes and she gets their ashes and, like, reconstructs them with her special super magic beam. Yeah, because the Amazons have advanced scientific technology on Paradise Island, including an atomic... Reconstruction beam. Yeah, reconstruction beam. It would have been better if she was just like, you know what, I'm going to use magic. Um, I'm going to use a spell. Anyway, she brings them back. They wake up touching fingers. I saw that. What the heck <laughs> was just, that? They're just like ETing each other. Like they're both lying side by side in bed like, tee hee hee, I got your finger. You know, so they're, <laughs> they're just like, we did it. We're back to life. And he's like, oh, you shouldn't have. And then I didn't read the rest because I got bored. They were still radioactive. <laughs> That's right. Because they wake up and then Steve's like, oh, we're alive, but we're still a danger to the world. <laughs> and then it says, find out next time. Oh, yeah, the sequel. Okay, so let's talk about Egg Foo, because that's who we're talking about. It's not this egregious interpretation of Steve and Wonder Woman. <laughs> as horrified as we were to see our heroes act like this, we knew they did. We've read Superman's Girlfriend Lois Lane. We yeah. know how women acted in the 60s in <laughs> comics, written by men who have been shut in their rooms for decades. Yeah. They're super weird. Not like any women you'd ever expect to meet, but that's okay. So, Eggfu was nefariously racist, and there's no way he could have been brought back unless he was sanitized. Post-Crisis of Infinite Earths, this is back in the 90s, he was retooled as a piece of apocalypse tech that got left by Scott Free on some mission to Earth, and it was used as an attraction along Gateway City's Oceanside Boardwalk. People were protesting it because it was ugly and racially insensitive <laughs> so it was still there but at least they were acknowledging it once activated though it became this machine that dominated people's minds to prepare them for transport to apocalypse lovely right so that was one version then following the events of infinite crisis a new version of egg Fu appeared and he was called cheng zhu he was still an agent of apocalypse he's running around with this guy named ugly manheim <laughs> yeah bruno manheim I just love Bruno Mannheim is a main inner gang member who sells a lot of apocalyptic tech. Gotcha. So they start kidnapping a bunch of mad scientists, you know, as you do. And it was in the comic book series Week 52, number 49 and onward. They are forcibly recruited into Chang's science squad on Oolong Island. And so Chang has been changed completely here. He's not a racist egg. He is still an egg. <laughs> he is an egg with mojo contraption stuck to his body. <laughs> it's like a spider leg chair with teeny tiny arms and a lot of guns. He is horrifying. He has like these horrifying eyes and a mouth mm -hmm. and it's all cracked and grody. And he just looks like someone's yeah. nightmare. He looks more like egg yolk at this point now. <laughs> a little bit. He's been through the ringer. He's been punched so many times by Wonder Woman. Kind <laughs> <laughs> of beat the racism out of you. <laughs> <laughs> so we covered a lot of racism through there. I'm happy that I was the one to find it. <laughs> we covered racism, weird moral conundrums with the X-Men, and then just wholesome, wholesome Captain Carrot. You know, we should have ended with Captain Carrot. We probably should have. a nice ramp up. There was no way to <laughs> fix this. Happy Easter, guys! <laughs> <laughs> so... We did this, we are putting our names to it, and I apologize to everyone who had to listen to the worst Easter programming you've probably <laughs> ever seen. Really happy to share this Wonder Woman story with you. I loved hearing about Captain Carrot, he's lovely, and I was horrified by your story, Muse. Never talk to me about egg again. All right. <laughs> now.
now, comic news. Let's talk about what is currently happening in this bizarre world of ours. Joe? Right now, we actually found out that DC did release some comics on April 1st digitally. Nothing still printed because of Diamond Publishing. But one of the things that they released digitally was Batman The Adventure Continues, which is written by Alan Burnett and Paul Dini, which is the continuation of the 90s Batman cartoon, which everybody loves so much. First issue was amazing. DC, on April 9th, actually had Kevin Conroy, the famous voice of Batman, do a live reading of this first issue on their Instagram Live. I sat through that. It was amazing. It was a blessing. Made my day. This man, I miss his voice so much. And he not only read it, he also described every scene because he has, like, the comic script in front of him. He's not reading, like, the actual comic. And you can see, like, the stack of papers in his hands. So he is describing the scene. He is saying the dialogue. He is doing the voices of these characters. And he is making the sound effects that you see. Is this going to be released on YouTube, did they say? I do not know. I really hope it is because I feel like everybody needs to see this. Yeah, this was amazing. He did so many voices. He did Harvey Bullock. Almost sounded exactly like him from the TV show. He did Veronica Vreeland. She was supposed to be drunk. So (laughs) she sounded a little bit like Julia Child from Kevin Conroy. (laughs) Alfred's voice sounded a little bit more British than the Alfred from the TV show, but it was still amazing. He did Lex Luthor because Lex Luthor shows up and oh my god, it was amazing. And he voiced Clark Kent because Batman had to call Clark and he got Clark's voicemail. He made him sound so peppy that as he's voicing Clark, he's swinging his arm (laughs) like Mickey Mouse. He's like, oh boy! (laughs) Oh gosh. The second issue is apparently supposed to be releasing April 15th. They did not say if it was also going to be digitally, but one of my main concerns is that the Catwoman 80th anniversary special is also supposed to be released on April 15th. I have no idea what they plan on doing here. (sighs) As of right now to this day, both DC and Marvel stated that printing and putting out new comics is currently on hold. They both plan on uploading past comics onto their comic apps or Comixology, DC Universe, all that stuff. But as of right now, in terms of like new comics, they said that there's supposed to be a hold. But then they also released this Adventure Continues comic. So, like, what's the answer, DC? Well, it had to have been done before because it's not like Diamond's making except. And I thought the 80th anniversary would have already been, like, printed and ready, but I guess not. That's what I figured, too. But I think it's more of the fact also of, like, shipping it. Oh, yeah, because Diamond has to ship directly from right. it. So Diamond just, like... It's just all sitting in their warehouse. Yeah, and they're not the only printers. A lot of printers in general just... Yeah. stopped because it's not considered essential not considered essential and i know a lot of people involved with like amazon ups fedex and stuff have been getting 
plastic because they've yeah. been in contact with packages and things. So that's so sad. Or they themselves got sick from something and then potentially passed it on to mm-hmm. other packages in other families. So horrifying. Even like post offices and whatnot, they say like they have the packages wait there for like a day or so before shipping them out to where they're supposed to go. Yeah, well, that's good and all, but like my mail delivery person comes by every day and he's not wearing a mask. He's not wearing gloves. As far as oh, I can that's see. healthy. And I'm just like, sir, you're way too <laughs> trusting right now. Like, please, I'm gonna leave him a mask. I'm gonna set it out for him. Like, this is for you. Fucking wear it. <laughs> when I bought my short box and it was supposed to come that like Friday, it didn't come until the following Wednesday. So it took an additional like four days to get here because it was considered non-essential. So well, let's assume that you know this all ends in the summer. For just for the sake of argument, mm. Diamond comes back online. How many of these collectors do you think are going to realize, wow, I have a lot of money now that I'm not buying comics. I don't really need to buy comics, actually. (laughs) And then they just don't go back to their old habits. Do you think that's going to happen? I feel like it's definitely going to be mixed. Like, I know for me, even, like, before all this started happening, I really tried to budget how many comics I was buying. And I am trying to read more digitally. If I really like a specific comic, I really have to think hard about purchasing it. Mm. then again i also purchased every single variant of the robin 80th catwoman 80th and joker 80th oh lucky i mean lucky if you ever get them as soon as midtown advertised pre-orders available that's when i did it i didn't get all of catwoman i didn't get all of joker because i didn't like all the covers but i did get a majority i bought none of the catwoman covers and now i am starting to rethink my habit and i'm like maybe i don't need to buy comics because i've been sorting so much i've been cleaning like crazy because i'm trapped at home i have a lot of comics and i don't read most of these and i can release them back in the mainstream and it's like what good is a book if it's not being read you know someone else could be reading this right now so got them high joe (laughs) i was hoping you would do this one what yeah, listen, we both saw the trailer and we got the giggles hard, but I am going to look at the ratings on it because they were pretty bad last time I checked. For those of you curious, Gotham High is a new young adult novel coming out from DC. I urge you to watch the official trailer to just type in Gotham High review on YouTube or Google <laughs> and watch any of those Yes, and laugh your fucking ass off there's so many different reviews from people who watch the trailer and are like no 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 i have yet to see a good review that wasn't from an official dc employee that's valid yeah Mm. so here's the rating currently as it stands gotham high official trailer has turned their comment section off (laughs) 2.5 k upvotes and downvotes are 33,000. So, oh, wow. Oh my god. <laughs> Less than 10% approval rate. Yikes. All right. And DC's been doing pretty good with their graphic novel right now. V, can you please give a little background on the writer? All right. So, this is actually coming from a number one New York Times bestselling author, Melissa De La Cruz. <gasps> oh, her. She yeah. sucks. Oh. <laughs> She wrote one of those vampire young adult novels that I got sucked into back in middle school because I was a desperate middle school girl. And the story started out really interesting. It was like, oh, they're vampire reincarnations of fallen angels. So it was weird, but I was like, okay, get your concept. And then she just took it. Really weird. Vampire messiah, main character. It was just, I'm sorry. She's a terrible (laughs) author. So she also wrote a book called Girls Who Like Boys Who Like Boys. 
true tales of love, lust, and friendship between straight women and gay men. This book is sparking a little bit of concern, and I'm just going to tell you why right now, and you're, you're going to get it just from the synopsis of Gotham High. So basically what Gotham High is proposing in this trailer, narrated by our own Selena Kyle. Joe, you can say it. Selena! <laughs> He's been doing this to me all week, and it's killing me slowly. <laughs> Selena is race-bent to be, instead of Italian-American, she is now Mexican-American. But what makes her Mexican-American is that her name is now Selena Garcia Kyle. Oh. As we all know, that middle name really does it. <laughs> so she is now Selena Kyle, the girl next. Star. She talks like that and she's like, Triangle is a perfect shape. Because she's basically created a love triangle by getting two boys to fall in love with her. One being future CEO and emotionally distant bad boy Bruce Wayne, and the much more interesting but poor Jack Napier. <laughs> oh gosh. They are pairing Selena with the Joker. In an interview, Melissa said that she actually wasn't a fan of Batman. She was offered any character she wanted from DC, and her husband likes Batman, so she picked Batman and basically remade him. Because she is half Chinese, she made Batman half Chinese as well. Which, I'm gonna say not a smart move right now, because there have been a lot of bat-related jokes. Yeah. It's not good. Oh, it's not good. Oh, no. Also, just hearing the main plot with the love triangle thing of like, oh, I want the boys to fight over me kind of thing, or two boys fighting over the main character, it sounds like her Blue Blood series, I'm sorry. Also remembering her previous book of girls who like boys who like boys. And there was an image that I think freaked a lot of people out where she is dancing yeah. between Bruce and Joker, and they're like both into it. So they're thinking, what's going to happen is, I mean, I've heard this from like five different people. They're like, I feel mm -hmm. this is going to happen. It's absolutely, and I'm like, I don't know, because sometimes they do this, but sometimes they actually, in fanfic, will have that thing where the guys hate each other so much they become lovers. So that could be the source of tension between Batman and Joker is that they had that mutual love of Selena, but now they love each other. Or maybe ah! the triangle's a perfect square. <laughs> And now it's polygamous. People are wondering why <laughs> this 16-year-old girl is acting in this portrayal and having all these very, like, almost graphic scenes of other teenagers in these situations that can be implied to lead into other things that may not be suitable for teenage young adult content. And of course this is all from YouTubers because you know how mm -hmm. YouTubers will take one thing and then they will expand it. So I yes. wish I could say, like, oh, I just, you know... I just heard this from the grapevine, but I obsessively watched these reviews <laughs> because I was having so much fun <laughs> listening to this get roasted just from its trailer. I just watched the one review that V showed me. <laughs> that made my day. I'm pretty sure it's one of the top ones. I think it's that the top one, yeah. And I highly suggest it. Yeah. This story is a disaster. Also, Alfred's gay just for the hell of it. Oh, because she said she liked crazy rich Asians. And That's I guess it. there's a. Who is gay in crazy rich Asians? I haven't even I seen don't it. remember. It was such a weird reference. Like, why wouldn't you just mm -hmm. say, well, I wanted Alfred to be gay? She's like, because oh, I like crazy rich Asians. Like, oh, do you? That's a fun factoid. <laughs> Knew nothing of Batman other than the fact that her husband liked him. She liked Crazy Rich Asians, and she wanted to self-insert, quote-unquote, from many YouTubers. Oh, yeah. She actually said that in the tweet. <sighs> like, 
is a New York Times best-selling author and they were like we're just happy to have you on board and she thought it would be a cakewalk but judging by that YouTube video and the responses I think it's gonna get panned I mean the fact you just updated us that their comment section is disabled they have 33,000 dislikes compared to the 2.5 likes on the trailer I do not see this doing well. They're still going to publish it because this is what DC does. Like, they don't care about what reviews they get. Mm -hmm. The money's already in the project. They're not going to back out of it. They're still going to... And if it's not Diamond distributing it, if it's a different publisher, does that mean it's going to be one of the few DC books that actually gets out to the main public? Probably. I do like the color palette, though. Yeah, I do like the colors. It reminds me of the uh, Black Canary Ignite one as well. Just bright, pretty colors. Also another really good story. I think this is their first, like, massive flop. I think it's because there's just too many changes. Maybe. Like, it's one thing, like, if you want to do a story with younger versions of these characters. I mean, Gotham and all these other young adult novels that came out. But when you make too many changes, it really stirs up a lot. Well, I think comics especially, like, the culture around comics is so protective. That's why there's such a disconnect right now between, like, the creators and the consumers. Because a lot of times the creators, and I see it on my Twitter account too, like they get so mad. They'll just throw like haymakers at like the general Mm -hmm. public. They're like, how dare you, you know, whatever the issue is. If you don't like how they wrote it, that's on you. You're a terrible person. They're angels, you know. And Mm -hmm. that's not everyone. Some people are very like customer oriented or very reasonable or very nice. I have my favorites, but like there is a weird culture war that's in comics that you're not going to see in mainstream like book making so when you step in and you like don't understand the audience in comics these people are already ready like they're so on edge all the time that i feel like it's a very difficult medium to step into a very rough start yes doesn't matter which platform it is television show movie comic book any of those platforms and you're very new to the scene you're automatically going to get hit with criticism i think it's just if you take their precious ip because it's the thing is with the bigger the ip the more emotional attachment people have to the character so if you take the character lightly if you like say i'm just gonna throw out everything you love about him and remake him and like when it comes to race bending especially if you do it haphazardly it comes across as really shallow like you're just using the character because he has clout and you're just going to do your own character with their Mm -hmm. name and so with race bending, sometimes it's done really well. Like there are a few race bending situations I love, but then there's a lot where, I mean, the worst thing you can say is, I don't know anything about this character. I decided to throw a bunch of stuff out and put myself in their place. <laughs> people are not gonna <laughs> like that because then this character is almost real. Some people mm-hmm. are like, this character got me through a rough childhood or this character speaks to me in this particular way or this character reminds me of someone I loved. And then you come in and you're like, well, I don't like any of that and I'm throwing it out and buy my thing. I think like if you are creating an original character, you get a lot more goodwill. It sounds like she's created original characters up to this point. So when you walk in on an IP and you're like, change this, I don't like it. People are going to be like, I bought those curtains myself. (laughs) I think that's just the general feeling, especially in comic books, because I don't even know what it is about comics. There's a lot of weird history with comics where people have that attachment, they have a connection, and those characters, they see so much. They transform so much, and so people go through a new outrage cycle, it seems like, every year. And I'm guilty of that, too. Like, you've heard my rages about, like, (laughs) authors taking my favorite character's lightning and Tom Keen. Oh, you've heard mine. We heard yours today, Joe. (laughs) (laughs) 
But there have been really good, like, newer adaptations of some of these heroes that we've seen in these young adult and children's graphic novels with Black Canary. It was a very different origin story for Dinah, but it still fit her. She was still Dinah. She was still spunky. And they kept that storyline of, like, her mom was still the Black Canary and then is now passing it down to her daughter. But you're still keeping her elements that everyone loves about her take what people love about the character and adapt it into a newer situation i think when you adapt a character when you're trying to modify them and put your own spin on it you really do have to ask yourself why am i changing it and does it make sense is this going to enhance the character or am i just making a lateral move just because it's something i want to do and not really caring if it works or not but just because it's my work and i can do what i want with it Mm I mean, we've all been there. We've talked about this ad nauseum. We all feel that way. Like, listen, there's great ways to do interpretations. And like Captain Carrot, he's a version of Superman, but he's not Superman. So that gives him almost immediate, like, protection. And right (laughs) off the bat, again, like, a major difference between him and Clark is he has to keep replenishing his superpowers. True, but did you see how they kept the core elements the same and gave him that to, like, make you have sort of the same response to him as you would have to Superman? Like, if they'd changed a core element of him, you would have a different response. Even though he's an original character, so you could technically do a lot more with him. You could change a lot more. But they were like, no, no, this is a Superman type. We want people to have that Superman reaction. And then when I saw you and Muse reacting to him, it's with that same affection you showed a Superman. Because it is core, he's very similar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just think adaptions are interesting, and I think it's really fun to study the ones that fail and the ones that succeed. It's a lot of learning, like, if you're in that business and you're trying to come up with a story with these characters that have been adapted time and time again. Review the past things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to kind of help you with your own project. Because you are probably going to repeat some things, and that's okay if you can make it work in a new type of style. Yeah. And that's why with all of these different histories and all these different years, you still can come out with fresh ideas with all these characters that have been used time and time again. That is an amazing segue into the next thing you wanted to Mm -hmm. announce. There's another young adult graphic novel series that's going to be coming out on January 5th of 2021. I doubt its release date's going to get pushed back or forward. (laughs) (laughs) It is called the House of L series, and the first book is called The Shadow Threat, and it's going to be a three-part graphic novel series, kind of similar to the Super Sons graphic novel series. It'll explore life on Krypton through the eyes of two teenagers as they come together to investigate the dangers threatening their planet. So it's most likely the dangers that's causing the destruction of Krypton, which is really interesting to see more of like an underlying... the teenagers? I don't know. I didn't look at the names. It's House of L. Who are these teenagers? I think they're just two random kids. But (laughs) I'm rooting for that. I saw the names. I didn't notice anything similar. But the author is Claudia Gray, who's another YA novelist. We'll see how well she does. They've been really grabbing a lot of novelists to do more of their work, which is kind of good on DC because you get more of a novelist perspective on things instead of just a comic book writer's perspective. But as we saw with <laughs> Gotham High, it can also be a bit of a train wreck. And the artist is Eric Watsky. I'm interested to see if this one's going to be good or not. I am interested. <laughs> Looks good. <laughs> Speaking of protective nerds, did you see his face? I'm just skeptical, but I'm interested. I'm rooting for original characters, honestly. Enough of these 
I want to see the connection because you could just call it Tales of Krypton or something like that. You don't have to call it House of L if they're not connected somehow. Well, the House of L, weren't they the ones like warning everybody about the threat? Jor-El was. But it could be something like reference the people who were warning everyone. As far as I know, it was only Jor-El at the time because it was happening during Superman's infancy. Before Jor-El, they were all part of the Science Council mm-hmm. for generations because Science Council yeah. was the highest rank of power in Krypton. My point is that mm-hmm. the main characters are not necessarily going to be from the House of El. It might just be mm-hmm. referencing a big event that involved the House of El. It's probably referencing the fact that the House of El was predominantly in charge of the science experiments and stuff, and they're investigating it. So their names are Sarah and Zahn. Probably just two brand new characters. One's more of a politician, and she's a soldier. Interesting. You can actually find a preview on DC's website if you want to look at some of what they have up. It's but well, that sounds really good worth looking into i'm totally in support of this because like they've been complaining about declining readership and the way that comics just keep getting more and more expensive i just think it's a great idea to try to reach out to a younger audience but maybe not the super young audience who can't buy their own books like they've been doing so this <laughs> is a good medium i think it's smart business sense i hope it gets more readers and i hope it gets more takes more stories more minds mm-hmm. more styles i think that's a fun idea so Wrapping all of that up, you guys, thank you so much. I love you, and happy Easter. Aw, happy Easter. (laughs) And happy Easter to all of you. Let us know what you're doing this Easter. Let us know what's on your book list. Don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Court of Alex. Let us know which comics you want us to cover next week, and make sure to stay up to date with our latest episodes by subscribing to Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Cast Breaker, Radio Public, or anywhere else you may listen to this podcast. Happy Easter! <laughs> Have a good Easter, guys. And let us know your favorite egg. I pump. knew you were going to do that! <laughs>